Well, good morning. How are y'all? I am so excited for this series. I'm having such a great time with it. I hope you are too. But before I jump into today's message, I want to let you know that not next week, but the week after, we're kicking off a brand new sermon series. Uh, We're calling it Unstuck. Uh, And the idea behind Unstuck is getting out of the ruts that we find ourselves in and back on the road. God designed us not to be stuck in ruts, not to be stuck in, in our life, but to be getting traction and to be moving down the road of life. And he's got a lot in his word to say about that. Now, the reason I'm telling you this two weeks ahead of time is twofold. One, Chances are 90% of us are stuck in some area in our lives, whether it's relationally or if it's uh, financially or if it's occupationally or if it's an addiction or wherever it is that you're stuck. And, and I would say to, to all of us, it's okay to not be okay. We say that all the time around here. It's just not okay to stay that way. And we're going to look real carefully over a five-week period of time about how to get unstuck. The second reason I'm telling you this, one is so that you're here and you make plans to be here and participate in that series. But the second is you know people who are stuck. And this series is for them too. And so you got in your program today an invitation to the series. Take that and bring people with you. This one is worth bringing people to because so many people can relate to it. So that's coming up. But today we are in our fourth week of a five-week series we're calling Ghost Stories, a non-spooky look at the Holy Spirit. Uh, Over the years I've talked to so many people and when you get to the, the, the Holy Spirit part of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, people are like, I'm not sure what to make of that. I've heard them called the Holy Ghost or I've seen things on television or been to church services where it's kind of spooky and I'm not, and, and, and attributed to the Holy Spirit. And at the end of the day, the premise for this series is the Holy Spirit's not spooky. The Holy Spirit is how you have a relationship with God in this day and age. People can be spooky in the name of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is not spooky. Uh, He is awesome, and he empowers us to live lives that are fully alive. And so as we're unpacking this, we're looking at different aspects of who he is, what he does, and how he works. Now this week we're looking at what Paul calls, the Apostle Paul called, the gifts of the Spirit or spiritual gifts. And in 1 Corinthians 12, Uh, verse 1, he writes this. He says, now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. The church in Corinth was uninformed about some aspects of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And again, from conversations with people over the years, many people today are uninformed about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And like Paul, I don't want you to be uninformed. So we're going to spend a little bit of time today dialing into the gifts of the Spirit. Now, a spiritual gift, you might be thinking, well, what is a spiritual gift? A spiritual gift, this is a, a real simple definition. It is the supernatural enablement of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer for the building up of themselves, the church, or others. It's the supernatural enablement of the Holy Spirit. So we have natural abilities, right? And supernatural just means this is beyond what I can do on my own. So the Holy, a spiritual gift might be an ability that the Holy Spirit takes from here to hear because he's empowering it. Or it might be an area that we have no gifting whatsoever and all of a sudden we have a gifting in because it's supernatural. It's given to us by the Holy Spirit. And according to the scripture, all believers 
who have put their faith in Jesus, who have had their sins forgiven, and have asked the Holy Spirit to come and live in their hearts, we've all been given at least one spiritual gift, one spiritual enablement. But so often people will say, I have no idea what it is. Maybe some of you feel that way, like, I, okay, I, I, I've got one, you say so, the Scripture says so, but I don't know what it is. And that is not uncommon. And the reason it's not uncommon is because you don't know about them or because you haven't started serving yet. Uh, one of the things that I found is if you want to know what your gifts are, start serving, start getting some experience, and it will start to bubble to the surface what it is. So if you're not on the dream team here at the Vineyard Church, if you're not volunteering, sign up. It's, a, it's the next step. Uh, or one of the next steps on the Connect card today, if you pull out your Connect card, sign up to serve. We'll do a class here soon, and you can come through that. We'll even do a little spiritual gifts inventory um, that you can uh, help kind of help you uh, figure out what your, your gift or gifts, because you can have more than one, is. So go ahead. I'll wait. You can mark that off. All right. All right, so when we look at, at Scripture, we know that we all have at least one resident gift, right? But there are also, it's also clear that the Holy Spirit can empower you to do whatever He wants to empower you to do, to accomplish whatever He wants to accomplish in a moment for a particular purpose, right? So you might have uh, like, for me, I don't have the gift of knowledge or what I would call words of knowledge. And I'll talk more about that, unpack that here in a moment. But last week I shared I was having lunch with a friend and I had no knowledge of what was going on in his life. Uh, and I heard in my, that still small voice in my heart, he's having an affair. And I was like, whoa, where'd that come from? You know, and, and I kind of pushed that away and that thought popped back in, pushed it away and it popped back in. So I steered the conversation in the direction of how's your marriage. Very gently, I did not say, thus saith the Lord, you're having an affair. I didn't say that, all right? Don't ever do that. What I, what I did was, hey, how's your marriage going? And as he began to un, un, or share, I said, is there somebody else? And he just turned white as a ghost and was like, how do you know? And I was like, oh, all right. And we were able to deal with that. It was kind of cool. I don't have that gift of knowledge or word of, word of knowledge. But every once in a while, God will whisper something to my heart. And he can do the same thing with you with any of the gifts for a moment. And it's just kind of a, we're going to take care of this. We're going to reach in and grab this tool. If you're willing and open, does that make sense? Say yes. All right, good. Now, as you, we look at the scriptures, there are various lists in different places. We have Ephesians and Romans and 1 Corinthians, where there are different lists. There's no comprehensive list. There's no, and theologians will debate and argue, are there nine spiritual gifts in the Bible? Are there 27 spiritual gifts in the Bible? 21, 19, there are all these various lists and different people. And I think God did that for a reason. You know why I think he did it? Because he doesn't want us blocking him in. He can empower you to do anything. And it would be a spiritual gift, right? But we do see some spiritual gifts show up in the Scripture. And so we're going to look at about 19 of them today. Say woo. Woo! That's a lot. It's going to be like drinking out of a fire hose, as they say. And so we're going to, we're going to cover a lot of ground, kind of a 60,000-foot overview, knowing that we all get at, at least one spiritual enablement or gift that's resident, at least one. Some of us have several. 
and that God can use you for most of these at any point in time if you're open and, and willing. All right. Now, about spiritual gifts, Paul said, I don't want you to be ignorant or unaware. Now, we're gonna, uh, I'm going to start in 1 Corinthians 12, 4, and we're just going to unpack some things. He's writing to the church in Corinth. They obviously have some misunderstandings about spiritual gifts, and really they've become obsessed with spiritual gifts. And this is what he says. He says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Obviously, he's addressing the source of spiritual empowerment or spiritual gifts to the church because they, they must have had this idea that, well, I get the, the spirit of wisdom or the spirit of this or the spirit of that, and that's what enables me or empowers me. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. One Holy Spirit. He enables us to do whatever it is that he enables us to do, but it's one God, one spirit. It's different manifestations of the same spirit of God at work in us. He goes on. He says, now to each one, that's each individual in the church, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. I'll call that a word of wisdom. To another a message of knowledge, a word of knowledge, by means of the same Spirit. To another faith, so there's a gift of faith, by that same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another miraculous powers. To another prophecy. To another distinguishing between spirits. To another speaking in, a different, in different kinds of tongues. And to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So Paul opens this up, setting the Corinthians straight on spiritual gifts. He says, look, it's not multiple spirits, it's one. It's the Holy Spirit. He gives us the power to help people find and follow God. He gives us the power to build up the church. He gives us the power to be the church individually as we come together. It's the Spirit of God. It's not individual spirits. So we got that straight. And he determines who gets what. He determines. We don't get to determine that. The Holy Spirit determines who gets what gifts. And then Paul goes on to talk about the body of Christ. And he talks about how the church is like the body of Christ. So he's speaking metaphorically. So we, there's a hand and an eye and an ear and a nose and a knee and a, and a big toe. And, 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 and every one of us is a necessary part of the body of Christ. If you don't play your part, whatever God gifts you to do, if you don't play that part in the body of Christ, the whole body suffers, is what Paul says. Your part is vitally important. This is why it's important that you know what your gifts are and that you bring them to the table. It's absolutely, absolutely essential. We all have a part to play. And then in verse 29, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, and the answer, just so you know, to all these questions is no. He says, are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? No. No. We don't. We all have a different part. We all have a different role, and these are the gifts that he's talking about in this specific passage of Scripture. So what I want to do for the rest of our time together is unpack what some of these gifts are. I, you know, this is a non-spooky look at the Holy Spirit. Some of these gifts, like I say, tongues, and for some of us, it's like, ooh, that's kind of spooky. Maybe you've seen 
And it's not. But until we talk about them, it might remain spooky for you. So I'm going to unpack at a 60,000-foot level 19 spiritual gifts. And and it's going to be fun. We're going to move fast. And, um, you know, we'll do the best we can. It's going to be great. You ready? All right, here we go. So, first gift that we find in Paul's list here in, in, in 1 Corinthians 12 is the gift of knowledge, the gift of knowledge or words of knowledge. Again, this is the, to know something specific without having learned it by natural means. I have this, like my friend, over lunch, I had this, this knowledge that I had no idea, I had nothing that was tipping me off in that direction. It was just kind of God whispering in my heart. All right, I don't have that gift regularly, so don't worry about it. If I'm talking to you, I don't know what's going on in your life. You know, I, I just, there are times where God will, if I'm available and willing, where he'll use me in that way, and maybe you too if you're listening for his voice, right? But it's the gift of knowledge. Um, at one point, Jesus is is talking to a woman at a well in Samaria, and they're having a conversation, and he says, you know, I'm the Messiah. And she goes, really? And he, he goes, yeah. He goes, go get your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And he goes, you're right, you don't have a husband. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus goes, you have, you've had five husbands, and the guy you're living with now, he's not your husband at all. And she, her jaw hits the ground, and her eyes get about this big. And she's like, how do you know that? And he's like, well, you know, I told you who I am. And she goes back and not, not only gets her man, but she gets the entire village and brings them out. And it opens up a door for ministry in this village, and Jesus stays on for a couple of days. That's a word of knowledge. You may have that gift resident. It doesn't mean that you, everybody you talk to. It just means that God's going to do that more often than he will for the rest of us who don't have that gift. But if you don't have that gift, don't say, that's not my gift because you are a candidate at any point in time. If God needs to do something, he will use you. All right. The next one is word of wisdom or words of wisdom. This is a God answer or solution for a particular situation. This is how this one usually plays out. You're sitting in a meeting with, with some people. Things aren't very clear. It's kind of like, oh, I don't know which way to go. There's not a good option forward. It's just kind of confusion. And then the person with this gift goes, I know what we should do. We should do this. And they're typically really quiet and laid back, but when they speak, everybody listens because they always have something really good to say. And they just drop the bomb. They're just like, this is what we should do. All the fog clears, and we know exactly what we should do. They have this gift of wisdom, right? Um, there was a guy in John chapter 9 who was born blind. Jesus heals him, happens to be on a Sabbath. And so the religious leaders all get, you know, they're, they get all twisted up, and they, they bring him in. And uh, are grilling him, and he's like, why, why are you so worked up? Do you want to be his followers too? And they're like, we don't want to be his followers. And they're like, we, we don't even know where this guy is from. And he's like, and so this guy, this blind guy, who would have, he was born blind, he wouldn't have gone to school, he probably grew up begging on the street. And all of a sudden he says this incredibly wise thing. He's like, well, that's rich. You don't even know where he's from. And he's going around healing blind guys? Nobody can do that if they're not from God. And it just kind of, wisdom fell on the room. And he just had that wisdom, and it was a gift from God. All right, the next gift is the discerning of spirits. Now, that has this, the potential to be spooky, right? What do you mean discerning of spirits? Well, 
the reality is, whether you care to acknowledge it or not, we live in a world that has a spiritual realm. There is good and there is evil. There are angels and there are demons. There, are, there is a spiritual battle that goes on around us that most of us are generally unaware of. Thank goodness. Say amen. All right? Yeah. But it's real and it happens. The person with the, the gift of discerning of spirit, spirits are made, they're, they're able to look into that realm a little bit. Not entirely, but they are, it's, it's to be made aware of the presence of a demonic spirit. This person, if you have this gift, right, they're able to look into the situation and say, you know what? This is spiritual warfare. We need to pray about it. Now, here's why this is important. Because as human beings, once you acknowledge the fact that there is a, a spiritual war battle going on around us, it's very easy to blame everything bad that happens in our life on spiritual warfare. I stubbed my toe. Oh, it was the devil. You know, I, I, I lost my job. Well, it's the devil. I, you know, th th this bad thing happened. No, not everything bad that happens to you is the devil. Not everything bad that happens to you is spiritual warfare. And knowing when it is is really helpful because at that point, like if it's practical, you don't, you know, you can pray all you want, but you need to change your behavior, right? If, it, if, it's, if it's spiritual, the person is like, we need to take this to prayer. And we do. And that's a great gift. At one point, Paul has a girl following him around who's a fortune teller. And, um, and she's going around saying, you know, he's from God. And he's like, I don't need a fortune teller confirming my message. And he looks at her and he sees that she's empowered by a demonic spirit. And he looks at her and says, come out of her. And it just does. And, and she's like, ah, oh, I'm free. All right, gets Paul in a lot of trouble because she was a slave and making a lot of money for her owners, right? But, um, but he was able to look right in and see what was happening tell him to come out. By the way, just as a side note, not having anything to do with spiritual gifts, stay away from fortune tellers, just saying. Now, that's discerning of spirits. That is not the gift of discernment, all right? There is no gift of discernment in the Bible. I'll say that again. There is no gift of discernment in the Bible. There's a gift of discerning of spirits. Now, a lot of times people will say, I've got the gift of discernment, when in fact what they have is the gift of criticism, all right? That's not a gift. I'm just saying it's not a gift to anybody, and especially not to you. So don't spiritualize a critical, a critical bent in your heart. Get over that. Deal with that. That's, that's not spiritual. That's practical. Deal with it. All right. How's that for pastoral, huh? Deal with it. Okay. Next up, prophecy. Prophecy. And I said last week, prophecy is just the ability to hear God's voice. Now, Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to speak to us. He's going to speak the heart of God into us. The prophet Joel said, your young men and women will prophesy. We are going to hear God's voice in our hearts, typically not audibly, but we will. The gift of prophecy is a message of encouragement from God through a person. Several of these gifts include hearing the voice of God. Prophecy is a message of encouragement for the body. Now, in the Old Testament, prophets would bring correction to the people of Israel, right? But in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit's poured out on all of us who are believers, 
And he leads us, guides us, corrects us, does all of those things, right? And so in the New Testament, prophecy is for encouragement and instruction, as you're going to see in just a moment. It is not it is not to go around and go, you're screwing up and God says so, right? Turn to your neighbor and tell them they're not the Holy Spirit. All right, some wives are going to have a hard time with this. You are not the Holy Spirit. I'm just kidding. I'm just, there are some husbands who think they're the Holy Spirit too. Um, in 1 Corinthians 14.31, it says, For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. Prophecy is for encouragement. And how it's a beautiful gift. It's not standing on the street corner going, you know, repent for the kingdom, you know, yelling at people. That's, that's not, I mean, some of us have that in our head. Prophecy might be you're talking to a friend and you go, you know what? I just have this sense that God wants you to know he sees exactly what you're going through. And you're going to make it. Like there's an end to this. And you're going to make it to the other side. And he is going to walk you every step of the way. And that is, that, that's powerful when we can speak the heart of God into other people's lives and situations. That's the gift of prophecy. And it is for encouragement, and it is for instruction. Then there's the gift of tongues. It's another one that there's a lot of misunderstanding about, and it's kind of spooky because people think, well, I've seen people babbling out loud, and I, know, I don't want to do that, and will the Holy Spirit take me over, and, and I'll have no control over that. And the answer is no, he won't. And let's talk for a moment about what the gift of tongues is, because once you understand it, it's not nearly as spooky as it was before. The gift of tongues is a message from God in a language unknown to the person through whom the message comes. So last week, we talked about the gift of tongues as, that happened in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, where the disciples started speaking in known human languages, speaking about the wonders of God, and there were all these people who just happened to be in Jerusalem from all over the world for the Feast of Pentecost who were hearing these Galileans who couldn't speak other languages speak their languages and declaring the wonders of God. And everybody's like, what the heck is going on? And 3,000 people put their faith in Jesus that day. It was, a, it was a miracle that opened up the opportunity to share the gospel. Pretty cool, right? And that is a known human language. But as we read on in the book of Acts and through the New Testament, what you begin to see is that tongues takes on a couple different facets. There are three specific facets that I, that I can see. One is the known human language that we see in Acts chapter 2. I have a friend, uh, or I have a friend who, who has... Um, who was on our, our prayer team for a while, and he had, he had the gift of uh, another form of tongues, praying in, in tongues, and we'll talk about that in a moment. And one of the things that we tell people, if you're going to be on our prayer team, do not pray in tongues over people. They won't understand it. You'll freak them out. It's not, you know, like, just don't do that. You know, just if you want to, if you have, if you pray in tongues, pray silently to yourself and just, you know, and just let it be silent. Well, my friend was praying for somebody and he was praying silently, but a little bit under his breath. And the person looked up at him and said, how do you know Romanian? He didn't realize that he was, it was just, just a, a slight whisper. And he looked at her and he said, I, I don't know Romanian. What, what do you mean? How do I know? He goes, well, she goes, you're speaking in Romanian. He goes, what are you talking about? She goes, you're saying in Ro Romanian 
I love you so much. I love you so much. I love you so much. Over and over and over again. This woman loved the Romanian language, and God was speaking just to her in that moment. So that's that gift of a known language. But as we see the New Testament unfold, we see another facet to tongues that is a spiritual language, an angelic language, as the Apostle Paul refers to it. In 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, he says, if I can speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I don't have love, it doesn't mean a thing. So what is this speaking in the tongue of angels, like this spiritual language? that It's not something that somebody's going to just know because it's a, it's a foreign language, a human foreign language. So there's that aspect. And then if you continue to read through the New Testament, there seems to be this idea of praying in tongues, like this prayer language that would probably be the spirit or that would be the spiritual language. And in Romans 8, 26, the Apostle Paul said this, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And it seems that he's describing this prayer language where we don't know what we ought to pray. And if you've ever been in like a really stressful situation or a hard situation, I don't even know how to pray for this God. I've been there many times in my life. And, and it's like it bypasses our mind and it's a, it's a language just between us and God. We don't even understand it, but something spiritual, the Holy Spirit's praying for us and through us. In 1 Corinthians 14, 14, he says this, for if I pray in a tongue, so this is not speaking in a tongue, this is praying in a tongue, this prayer language thing, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. My spirit's praying. There's something spiritual going on. Now, I know a lot of people who are really normal that have this gift. And you would never know they have this gift because it's between them and God. I have this gift. I told you last week, I, early on, I was growing up in a Pentecostal church. I've been praying in tongues since I was this big. I do. And my family's not heard me. My staff's not heard me because this is between me and God. This is a personal prayer language, all right? It's not weird. It doesn't take you over. It's actually quite beautiful. And listen, it's what happens is you begin to hear the language in your head, and then you just verbalize it. Does everybody get this gift? No. But if you have it, lean in. The Apostle Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 14 goes on to say, because the Corinthians were just, everybody was speaking out in tongues in church. He's like, stop it. If unbelievers show up at your services, they're going to think you're nuts, right? right? Right. And so don't do that unless you have an interpreter or somebody who can interpret it. And they had much smaller church services then, and so they could kind of manage all that. We don't do this at all in our church services because it'd be chaos. And, you, you know, and, but, uh, but we do have people with this gift. And so the interpretation of tongues is understanding and expressing the thought or the intent of the message in tongues. It's not a translation. It's just the ability to, to somebody share something. It might be in a one-on-one -on -one conversation or in a life group or something along those lines. And you go, you know what? 
I know what that means. I don't know how I know what that means, but it means this, and it's, and it's an tr- uh, interpretation, and it's an encouragement. It's another form of prophecy, really, just an encouragement to somebody or to the body of Christ. Not spooky. All right, the next one is faith, the gift of faith, and that is a supernatural impartation of belief and confidence for a specific situation. So, or maybe just a general deposit of faith. Like, we're all supposed to have faith, right? You're supposed to have faith. But faith usually, for most of us, is something that grows over time as we experience God's faithfulness through various situations. But some people just get this deposit of faith. Like, I just, I just know God's got it. Like, they've got this peace no matter what happens. They're unshakable, right? Now, you may get this as a temporary impartation. You get a, your relative gets a diagnosis, and you're like, oh, that would normally rock your world, and you're just like, you know what? It's going to be all right. I know whatever the outcome is, God has got it. And all of a sudden, you're walking in the gift of faith. So whether it's a resident gift of faith or an impartation for a specific situation, it's the ability to just know that God's got it and this peace that passes understanding in our hearts. The next gift is the gift of healing, the gift of healing, supernatural endowments of divine health. Uh, John Wimber, the man who led the Vineyard Churches early, early on, uh, had this gift, which is really funny because he came from a Quaker background where they didn't believe in divine healing. Um, And so John kind of resisted it, but he kept praying for, you know, he would pray for people. He wouldn't even pray for healing and people would get healed. And he's like, I don't know what's going on. I don't believe in this. You know, and he kind of resisted it. And eventually he accepted the fact that God had given him that that gift and he had that gift resident. It's a beautiful gift, right? I mean, wouldn't you want to be prayed for by somebody who has the gift of healing if you were sick? Absolutely. Now, it doesn't mean that he gets everything, but he prays for gets better, but a much higher percentage than the rest of us. Right? But here's the important thing to remember with this gift. Every one of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, is a candidate to be used by God with the gift of healing. This is why all of us, again, if you're a follower of Jesus, should be praying for people to get well. Because you never know when God's going to show up and empower you in that moment. And he does that. My friend Aaron does not have this gift resident in him. But at one point, the story that I've shared several times about my finger had a disease in, in this finger, and they were going to cut it off. And my, I had prayer for it probably 100-plus times over the course of a year, and it just kept getting worse. And my, one evening, my friend Aaron said, I just feel like we're supposed to pray for your finger. And I was like, well, whatever, dude. Go ahead. And they prayed for my finger. And I woke up the next morning, and for the first time in a year, it was healed. I mean, it was gone. The disease was gone. It was a miracle. It was a gift of healing. And it was one of those, guys, every one of us can be used by God in that way. You're not going to see 100% of the people you pray for get healed. You might not even see 90% of the people you pray for get healed. But if you're willing to step out there, the worst thing that's going to happen is the people you're praying for are going to feel loved. And every once in a while, God's going to show up and empower you with this gift of healing. It's available to all of us as God determines. So, uh, you know, um, 
Several years ago, we had a, a, a girl in the church who had cancer in her jaw, and it was really bad, bad prognosis. She was going to the Cleveland Clinic the next day for uh, surgery, and they were going to remove part of her jaw. It was really a very invasive, very bad situation. And she came forward and got prayer at the end of the service. And I'm pretty sure that we didn't have anybody with the gift, the resident gift of, of healing. But anyway, somebody prayed for her. And she went up to Cleveland the next day for surgery, and they started feeling around before the surgery, and they couldn't find the tumors. So they ran a scan on her, and the cancer was completely gone. Right? Gift of healing. We keep praying. We keep praying. And if you have that gift resident, then, you know, you be. Work with that. All right. How about the working of miracles? The working of miracles is divine intervention that alters our natural circumstances. Let me ask you this. Have you ever experienced a miracle? How many? Okay, lots of us. Yeah, lots of us. Actually, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've experienced the miracle of his spirit drawing you to him and redeeming your life. That's a miracle that happens all the time. But throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see God show up in specific situations and defy, defy natural circumstances. He does that. And we see those stories through the early church and on through the history of the church to this very day. Um, when, I was, when I was six, I was diagnosed with uh, dyslexia, and I could not read. In fact, I, I didn't learn to read until the third grade. Um, because I was working through this dyslexia issue. But my parents took me to a prayer meeting not long after I had been diagnosed with dyslexia. And uh, they prayed for me. And I prayed that God would, would heal me and carry me through all that and whatever. And then later in the service, they, uh, they said, would somebody like to read this scripture? And I said, I will. And they opened the Bible and they gave it to me and I read it. And everybody's like, what? Now, I couldn't read after that. I was, it was just, but it was God showing up going, look, I've got this. You know, and I eventually learned to read and, you know, got, got past all that. But the working of miracles, some of us have just a, an endowment of that. And some of us, all of us, guys, pray for miracles. Not every time you pray is there going to be a miracle, but God will show up and empower you every once in a while for that. Now, there are other spiritual gifts that we find in the Bible, and some of them are really quite normal gifts. Um, some of them are, you know, obviously supernatural in just their very nature, but some of them are very normal. Uh, one of them is the gift of apostleship. They, these are people who have the gift of starting new spiritual ventures, planting churches, overseeing movements. The apostles in the Bible did this. This gift is at play to this very day. There's the gift of leadership. And these people have the ability to lead a group of people. We're going this way. We're going to take this hill. We're going to get this done. Um, and they are empowered by God. Now, there are people with a, a gift of leadership that is just a natural leadership gift. But this is a gift that is, they may be here, but when the Holy Spirit comes and in, imparts in, in a supernatural endowment of leadership, it goes up to here. Or maybe they had no leadership gift at all beforehand, and all of a sudden they do. There's the gift of evangelism. This is the, this, these are the folks that get on an airplane and lead everybody around them to Jesus by the end of the trip. I don't have this gift, right? Uh, but there are people who do, and it's not like they're weird and pushy. It's just like they have spiritual conversations just happen wherever they go, and people are fully engaged. It's a great gift. Most of us don't have this gift, 
But all of us, as Paul wrote to Timothy, are to do the work of an evangelist. A lot of these gifts we're supposed to do, whether we have the gift or not. And then God will empower it as he sees fit. It's so cool when he does. There's the gift of teaching. You know when you've sat under somebody who does not have the gift of teaching. It's New City. But when somebody has the gift of teaching, you're like, it's enga you're engaged, you're learning. You're like, yeah, absolutely, and you're making the connections. There's the gift of exhortation or encouragement. There's the gift of shepherding. Gift of shepherding is also called the gift of pastoring, which is care. Did you know most pastors of large churches don't have the gift of pastoring or shepherding? No, they, they typically have gifts of apostleship and leadership and teaching and those types of things. On our staff, Mike Camden, our campus pastor, has the gift of shepherding. He is so good at caring for people, right? And a lot of our small group leaders have this gift as well because they're good at caring for this, a group of people. There's the gift of serving or the gift of helps. These people love to help. They don't have any need to be in the lights. They don't have any need to be on the stage. They just want to work behind the scenes and make it happen. I'm telling you, nothing happens in the body of Christ without these folks. Maybe this is where you are. My friend Brad has this gift, and I know he does because, one, he's really good at helping. Secondly, he just loves to serve and help and whatever he can do behind the scenes. He also has a leadership gift that he hasn't completely embraced yet, but it's coming. But Maybe you have that gift. There's the gift of mercy. If you have the gift of mercy, you feel other people's pain. You do. You rejoice with those who rejoice. You mourn with those who mourn. There's something inside you that literally feels what other people are feeling. And these people end up being, serving uh, the poor or the broken or, uh, you know, people who are struggling through life, like uh, Grief share uh, and divorce care are ministries where, where people with this gift would, would congregate to our Stevens ministry because they feel what other people are feeling and they want to help. It's the gift of mercy. Then there's the gift of giving. Now, you're like, the gift of giving? Yeah, actually, it's a thing. Now, we're all supposed to give, right? I mean, we're all supposed to be generous. That is a Christian. That is a Jesus thing. Be generous. But there are people who have the gift. And the people with the gift, they love it. They love giving. They love funding the kingdom of God. And usually, not always, but usually they have a gift for making money. And God just keeps pouring it on, and they keep pouring it out. And God pours it on, and they pour it out. And, it is, and, and he funds his work in this world through people with the gift of giving. He funds it through all of us, but these people just have a blast doing that. And they are really a very fun bunch. Then there's the gift of administration. And you're like, really? Yeah. Yeah, because nothing happens if you don't get organized, right? I mean, we can have all the, the flamboyant whatever kind of all of that going on, but if, if we can't get ourselves organized, people fall through the cracks. We are ineffective at doing anything. Again, I would say Mike Camden on our staff has this gift as well as anybody I know. He, I mean, he has the gift of Excel. He stays up at night looking at Excel sheets. He loves Excel. Right? So important. And, you know, there are organized people, but there are people with the spiritual gift of administration as well. Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, says, look, I, don't want, you, I want you guys to be informed. I want you to know about these things. I want you 
to move in God's power. And I want you to move in God's power, every one of you. Again, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a candidate to be used by God in one or many of these ways, whether it be a resident gift or a gift for a specific point in time. If you're willing, if you're open, if you're listening for God's voice, his still small voice, if you're willing to step out and take a risk here and there, you will see God use you in ways that are beyond you. And it's really cool. But Paul warns the church. He says, look, because he goes into 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13 is just an extension of 1 Corinthians 12. When he wrote the letter, it was, there weren't chapters there. You know, it was a letter. But he goes on and he says, look, power is intoxicating. And when you think you've got it all figured out, you don't have it all figured out. And when you get focused on power instead of love, you've lost your way. And he writes 1 Corinthians 13. It's all about spiritual gifts. It has nothing to do with your wedding. Just saying. We read this at weddings. And he says, don't be obsessed with power. Be obsessed with love. He says, don't let it go to your head. So I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 13. Listen for the gifts along the way because he talks, he hits so many. This is what he says. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, gift of tongues, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, there's prophecy and knowledge and wisdom, and if I have faith, the gift of faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. And then this is the part we read at weddings. He describes love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. This is humility, guys. This is what he's describing. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. The gifts aren't about you. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So beautiful. Love never fails. Yeah. Spiritual gifts. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. And where there are tongues, they will be stilled. And where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. Some people will, will say, well, it says that tongues and words of knowledge will cease, so they don't happen anymore. Well, it says when perfection comes. Perfection is Jesus. When he comes back, those things will cease. And as far as I know, knowledge hasn't ceased. He says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. What Paul is saying is, guys, quit acting like children. Quit making this all about you. Grow up, Corinth. That's what he's saying. For now we see only a reflection in a mirror, as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. He's saying, guys, you don't have this all figured out. 
I mean, we are, we are finding our way through. We know that God empowers us. But don't declare yourself an authority on any of this. Humbly walk with God and allow him to empower you. And don't make it all about you. And then he says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. If we have not love, we lose our humility, if we think we've got it all figured out along the way, we become very dangerous with these things. But if we can remain humble, if we can keep our hearts soft towards God and our hands open to be used by Him, amazing, beautiful things can happen in our world and in the lives of the people God puts in your life. Because now you're open to be used by the power of God in you. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a candidate for all of these. If you're not a follower of Jesus, your next step is to become a follower of Jesus and ask his spirit to come live inside you. And then you get to walk out this adventure where God guides your life. And I encourage you to do that right now where you're sitting. Just invite him in and tell him you want to follow him. If you are a follower of Jesus, I want to pray a blessing over you. So cl let's close our eyes. And if you would, just stick your hands out like you, you're going to receive a gift. And let's just invite the Holy Spirit to fill us and empower us. Holy Spirit, would you come? We know you're here, but would you come in a way, Lord, that we would just know your presence with us in a tangible way, that people would, would know you are here. And Lord, I pray for each person in this room that you would fill them that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit. Lord, that you would give them gifts, that you would empower us to be your hands and feet to help people find and follow you and to love well. In Jesus' name.